because of what you've done for us, redeeming us from the pit. You said to forget not all your your benefits, who forgives all our sins, heals all our diseases, and delivers our life from the pit. And Lord, we intend to do that all the days of our life. As long as we have breath, we're going to praise you and honor you. Lord, today, we know your presence is here. But Lord, today, we want to feel your presence. We want to hear your presence. We want to smell your sweet aroma, Lord, today, as we minister to those that are hurting, those that need encouragement, those that are lost. Lord, bring them into the kingdom. As we study a little bit about the Holy Spirit today, Lord, I pray that people realize that he's the power that they have. The Spirit of Christ, Lord, today, use us in a mighty way, whether it be over the Internet or whether it be anyone that's in this service here today and anybody that listens on down the road to our recorded services, Lord, to you be the glory. Be glorified, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You may be seated, everyone. For those online, I just want to tell you you're listening to Freedom Church at the Palm Beaches. I'm Pastor Joe Trapani. We're glad you're tuned in. Um, you know, if you're local, we're at 2810 High Paluxo Road in Lantana, Florida. So if, you, if you're near I-95, you know, High Paluxo Road is the north border of Boynton, the south border of Lantana. So just go on 95, head to High Paluxo Road, go west about a quarter mile, and we're on the north side of the road, which is Lantana. So come on by. We're here every Sunday at 10 a.m., or you can tune in if you're not local. You know, if you're up north somewhere or, 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 not, or just even can't make it today, then, you know, you can always listen to the service. And you can still invite friends and have church at home. Where two or three are gathered, you know that the Lord is there. So, And you know what? If you're gathered alone... He's there because he lives in your heart. You can't win for losing, could you? He's always there. Listen, if you're online, freedomchurchpb.org, freedomchurchpb.org. You can find out our list of our times of services. You can read our beliefs. You can watch past services. You can find out our ministries, and you can even give online should you um, would love to give to the Lord's work that we're doing here. Uh, so every Sunday we stream at 10 a.m. The you know um, we have a men's Bible study that's on Saturday at 9 a.m. We do not stream it. So if you're local, come on by, guys. We we have a good time in the Lord. We start at nine. We usually end about 10:30 or so, but sometimes we hang around till noon just by praising the Lord and learning of Him and just. Just having a good time in the Lord, the fellowship. You know, ever since I got saved 45 years ago, I never could stop talking about the Lord. You know, whether it be 2, 3 in the morning, if someone's interested, I'm preaching to them. And I know it's the same for you because you love the Lord and what he's done for you. Listen, um, I think that's about it. Tune in next Sunday at 10 a.m. next time. You know, um, bring your friends or invite your friends. So let's get into our Bible study. For um, for those that are here, by the way, we have these little booklets in the back of your seats. Um, there, that's a Gospel of John, actually. So if you take it and give it out to somebody, if there's tithe envelopes there, we do not take an offering. There's boxes on both sides of the back, 
and um, you can just, you know, donate to support the work of the ministry. Clarence passing out some flyers. Listen, this, this flyer does not contain everything that I'm going to tell you. You know, believe me, I, I tried to get it um, so that it would have everything that I contained, but it was like eight pages long, and you don't want that. <laughs> so, you know, you got some scripture references there and some important points. But today, this study is, um, you know, six ways the Holy Spirit transforms our lives. Now, listen, there's, you know, there's about 70 attributes of the Holy Spirit, but we're only going to look at a few, uh, six ways the Holy Spirit can transform your life. And if you're born again, you've, you know some of these points that we're going to bring out. You know, a lot, of, a lot of people, like, they forget about the Holy Spirit. Well, the Holy Spirit is the power of God today in the earth. You need the Holy Spirit when you witness. Jesus is up in heaven interceding for us. You know, he did his job. He came, he died, he was buried, and he rose the third day according to the scriptures. And he proved that he was alive and well in those 40 days, appearing to all the apostles, to the women, some of the women, to Thomas, you know, to to 500 people, the most of them were alive at the time. So, you know, um, he, he's alive and well. But he did his job. He redeemed us from the pit. He paid the penalty of our sin with his precious blood. And uh, now we are redeemed. And the Holy Spirit was sent. And in this passage that I'm going to read you here, right from John chapter 15, um, 16, I'm sorry, and I'm going to, Read the 13th to the 15th verse, okay? So it tells you what here, what the Holy Spirit does. Verse 13 of John 16. However, when he, the Holy, when he, the Spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father are, has are mine. Therefore, I s- said that he will take mine and declare it to you. And in a little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me because I go to the Father. So, the Holy Spirit, these are six common ways he goes about doing these things we just read. Jesus said, and and I know you know this, if you've been a believer a while, he said that it's to our benefit that he would go away so so that we could receive the Holy Spirit. Now, John in 16 and verse 7, in that same chapter in verse 7, nevertheless, Jesus is speaking, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. So the Lord is sending the Holy Spirit. And who is the Holy Spirit? He's none, none, none but the Spirit of Christ himself. It's the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And you know, many times I told you the the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit are seen in the first three verses of the Bible. You know, in the beginning 
God created the heavens and the earth. There's God. And the Spirit hovered over the, over the waters. There's the Holy Spirit. And then God said, well, people miss that. Who's the Word of God? Jesus. He said, so you've got the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, right in the three verses of the Bible. First three verses. Not to mention the plural pronouns in, in Genesis chapter 3, where God identifies himself as a triune being. He says, let us do this and do that. We go to 1 Thessalonians 5.23, and it says, Let the Lord sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved complete till the coming of Christ. So we got it all through the Bible. The Trinity was identified practically in the very beginning of the church. You remember Ananias and Sapphira. Ananias and Sapphira, they, they were... They were going to sell their property and act like they were Christians who were giving all to the Lord, but they kept back a part of it, and they lied to the Holy Spirit. And Peter says, you know, how is it that you lied to God? You know? So right at the beginning of the church, the, the what can I say? The Holy Spirit was identified as being God. Right there. And that sets the foundation of the church. The foundation of the church needs the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So if, if a lot of churches don't pay attention to the Holy Spirit and don't think the Holy Spirit is active today, that's why they're missing a lot of the miracles and things that the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit is the power of God. In that verse, you know, um, we find out, as you look through the Greek, the Greek word is parakletos, which means in, in today's message, you know, in, in our culture, we have, we have uh, you know, paraministries, like paralegal. And that comes, it's something that comes alongside. And the Holy Spirit is one that comes alongside. We learn from the scriptures that he, he, he's an intercessor. He teaches us how to pray. He even entreats uh, in our favor the Holy Spirit. He's known as a counselor, and he helps us when we need comfort, as you know, or we need some counsel, and we need comfort. He's an advocate. He's like a lawyer. He's defending and supporting us from, you know, and, and uh, pleads our case, even while we're ministering to somebody. You might think you said the wrong words when you were witnessing to somebody, but the Holy Spirit knows how to turn it around and bless, bless them and so that they understand. He's known as the comforter, and he gives us the peace of God. Jesus said that he has to go away so this valuable person of the Trinity could come and help us down here. Here's one instance, and you know it well. It's Pentecost, Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. But you will receive power when? When the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, that's home. In Judea, that's your county. You know, in, in, your, in Judea, in Samaria, that's your state, your country, and even to the ends of the world. Many of you have been to many different countries preaching the gospel helping alongside a Christian ministry of some kind. 
and you've seen the power of God. I, I would love every Christian to go on a missions trip. Just one. And you will be shocked. You know, America is saturated with, with the gospel. But over in Africa or Brazil or who knows, Guatemala and different places, Nicaragua, where Fanny's from, you know, the, 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 these people don't have that saturation like America has had since its very beginning. And when you go over there, they actually believe God can, can heal a blind person and that blind person can see. I've had missionaries stay in my home and tell my children how God raised the dead, how, how he, he uh, protected them in bad places with angels that would guard them. Listen, you know, that's, this is what God does. He is the power of God. But when you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And that's a whole other teaching. You got the baptism of water, you got baptism in the Holy Spirit. You know, and we see, you know, the people, you know, baptized in the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. So the Holy Spirit is the power of God. And we know we need to know that today. In the scriptures, we can see some of the foundational truths that he does for us. He sends us out as witnesses. In this verse, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he sends us out as witnesses. I don't care if you're, if you're witnesses to somebody at Publix or in a store or in your car or at church. You know, you are witnessing, in the, and, and he gives you the power to witness a lot of us don't like to do that. A lot of us, our nature is not to do that. But, but he helps you even in that, that time. He lets you recognize these things. That, you know, that, that he is speaking through you. Point number one, he makes us more like Christ. That's one of the goals of the Holy Spirit. To make us more like Christ. So that you are different than whoever walks out there on the earth. People should see you and they say, something different about that person. I didn't hear him say one cuss word. I didn't hear him, I didn't see him follow that good-looking girl that was walking around. You know, I did, you know you, you're different. He sanctifies us. He's the... It's the sanctification is the process of the Holy Spirit stripping away our sinful habits and bringing us to holiness. And he does that through sanctification. Now, I mentioned to you over the years, and it's on the flyer that you just got, three, there's three types of sanctification. Number one is positional sanctification. That's when you accept Christ. You just changed your position. You're no longer a citizen of the United States of America. You are the citizen of heaven. You have a position in heaven. You're, you are pos positionally sanctified. As many as received him, he gave you the power to become the sons of God and the daughters of God. That's your position. You know what? I got rebuked last week by a fella, and I prayed, and I said, I'm a sinner, Lord, forgive me. And, uh, you know, and he said to me, Pastor Joe, i got to tell you this. You're not a sinner. I said, I'm a sinner. 
He said, no, you're a saint. Well, wait a minute. The Bible tells me of a sinner saved by grace through faith. So I took his light rebuke in, in a good way. Because I, I am a sinner saved by grace through faith. And I'm a saint. I don't have to be doctrinally prayed over by some denominational church. You're a saint because the Holy Spirit entered you. And now your spirit is whole. Your spirit is whole. Not your body and not your soul, but your spirit comes alive. He gave you the right to become a child of God. Positionally, you can become a child of God because you put your faith and receive Christ as your Savior. Then there's what I call progressive sanctification, which is the journey on which you are on this earth until from the date you were born to the date you pass. That in there's progressive sanctification. That's where you get rid of the lying, the cheating, the swearing, the pornography, the drugs, the alcohol. You are growing in grace and in knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you are going upward. You are progressively getting better at this. You know, 15, 20 years ago, we had, I had, we, I should say we, we had this fella who was in church for 25 years. And he thought he, was, he thought he was saved. He thought he was saved. So I called a good friend of mine in another state who, who was in the same type of ministry we are, and I told him all about this guy, and he said this to me, that fella isn't even saved. And I said, what? I've known him for, I don't know, 10 years. He's not even saved, Pastor Joe. You're so close to it, you don't even see it. So I went and I told the guy, and he thought I was crazy because he was raised supposedly in a Christian church. And he would not believe me. So I said, I'd like you to go out and talk to this fellow out in, out in another state. And, I, and he said, I'm not going there. I said, listen, I said, if I go with you, will you go? And he said, yeah, I'll go if you go with me. So I, I, we got airline tickets, and we flew out. And we got there, and we're, we're, we're ministered to him. He needed to deliver from the things that he was doing. So the, the counselor was telling him that, um, counselor was telling him, he says, you're not even safe. He got irate. It was almost demonic. <coughs> he got irate at us. So then he looked after about two days of that in these missive counseling that went on for at least three hours each. When one of those days, about the second or third day into it, he looked over to me and says, what do you think, Pastor Joe? Do you think I'm saved? I'm going to say, I'm going to say his name. I'm going to pick a name, Bill. Not to you, Bill. It's not Bill. <laughs> he said, I said, Bill, it used to be that we know you had an eye for women, but now you're sitting in church with your wife and you're texting the girl in the back corner and it's good looking. You haven't gone up, you've gone down. He busted down in tears. I'm not even saved. How could I do that? See, I, you're, 
You're in church doing this. You're like, God doesn't see you when you're at the supermarket. But he sees you in church even more. You know, people gravitate more towards that. But he busted down in tears and he understood. And he got saved that very day, thinking that he was saved for 25 years. And he's changed now. I, I know him well. I, like I said, I'm going back 15 years at least. And he's changed man. He began to change real quickly. His wife even noticed it. That is progressive sanctification. Timothy tells, Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.24, The Lord's bond servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to all, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting those in opposition, if perhaps God should grant them repentance, and they should come to the knowledge of the truth, and escape the snare of the devil, because they've been held captive by him to do his will. This man was held captive by the devil to do the devil's will in church. That's why it says, the Bible says our struggle is not against flesh and blood, against rulers, against powers, against spiritual forces, even in a heavenly place, like a sanctuary, like a temple. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are the Lord's bond servant. And we are not to be quarrelsome, but kind and able to teach people and, you know, and, and, and stay away from evil. And correcting our brothers and sisters who are, in, who are uh, being carried away by the devil. You remember Jesus in Revelation chapter 2? What did he tell the Ephesian church? I have this against you. You've lost your first love. We need to go back to our first love. If you're in that progressional sanctification area, it's time for you to return and come back to the Lord. Instead of going down, you're growing in grace and in knowledge. That's progressive. If you're going down, it's not progressive. It's going up. It's progressive. That's progressive sanctification. You get rid of the tongue. You get rid of the, the thoughts, the bad habits. You know, Thinking something doesn't make you sin. It's carrying on after it. It's carrying it or, or, or stay, you know, dwelling on it. You get rid of the lies, the lust, the eyes, the world, the flesh, and the devil, and the pride of life. You get rid of it. You're progressively going upward. Your sin, your iniquities, and your transgressions. And then the third, though you got positional sanctification, you got progressive sanctification, and then you have perfected sanctification. And perfected is when you are in the kingdom, you are perfectly sanctified. The Holy Spirit in you, the Spirit of you in, in you has come alive on this earth, and in the kingdom of heaven, He rules. The soul doesn't fight against Him anymore. You have been perfectly sanctified. Like these people in Revelation chapter 5, verse 9. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open the seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you, were rans you ransomed people from God, for God, from every tribe, every language, every people, every nation, and you have made them a kingdom of priests, to our God, and they shall reign on earth. 
progressive sanctification. That's where we will be at that day. You could back that up with many more scriptures, but here's another one. Revelation 21, 6. And he said unto me, It is done. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of water of life freely. He that overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. In this, when you're perfectly sanctified, your flesh is gone. The flesh that makes you sin. Colossians 2.11 tells you that when you came to Christ, you were circumcised, not with a physical operation or a procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision. He cut away the flesh from your heart instead of flesh from your body. Cut away flesh from your heart. And therefore, you're not supposed to love the world, the things in the world. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life, they're not from the Father, but they're from the enemy. You are buried with him in baptism, wherein ye also are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your sins and uncircumcised in your flesh, has quickened together with him, having forgiven you all your trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of the ordinance against you, that's the sin that was recorded against you, that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he took it out of the way. He nailed it to the cross. And having spoiled the principalities and the powers, he made an open spectacle of them, triumphing over the enemy through the cross. The Holy Spirit, he actually, you heard that expression, she's like an onion. You've got to peel it back. As we walk through this life, the Holy Spirit's peeling back on us, trying to find the true heart and making us more like our Savior Jesus. And every day we should be getting more and more like Jesus. If you had a foul mouth when you came to church or came to Jesus, you shouldn't have a foul mouth when you walk out the door. You should be different. And that's why I always say people miss heaven by 18 inches from here to hear. They accepted him with their brain, their intellect, but no, no, that they not realize who he was. They have to know it in their heart, not in their head. And miss heaven. Number two, not only does he he make us more like Christ, he gives us power to witness. And I read that verse in Acts chapter one, verse eight. That's just one verse, but we got more. But you shall receive power. When do you get the power? When the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And I've looked at that Greek word. The Greek word is epi, and you well know well. That means to be saturated. Not just filled with the Holy Spirit, but saturated. Filled with the Holy Spirit from head to toe to fingertips. Saturated is, it's running off into the saucer. And it's dripping everywhere you go. 
You're saturated with the power of the Holy Spirit. And when you lay hands on the sick, really, they should recover. But people have a problem with that, and I'm going to tackle that in a little bit, very close, very quickly, as a matter of fact. For God hasn't given you a spirit of fear, that's Paul talking to Timothy. That was Luke talking in Acts chapter 8, actually the words of Jesus he's recording. Now Paul's talking, you haven't received the spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind, and you know all that. He gives you power, power to raise the dead. That's what I love. I love putting missionaries in my home. They told us stories you don't see in the average Christian church in America. I've been on many missions trips. I saw one guy, one young kid, he was like 16 years old. He tried to commit suicide three times. We took him into counseling, prayed over him. We put him on a couch. We're, we're, you know, and we're speaking to him. We take, there's three of us taking turns to speak to this kid. And all of a sudden, while we're speaking to him, I mean, we didn't realize the power of God was there. We were eating sandwiches while we're ministering to this guy. And I thought, you know what? Who cares what you're doing in the flesh? It's what you're doing in the spirit that matters. We're ministering to this guy. All of a sudden, he, his 16-year-old kid, he f- sits up in the, in the couch. He's laying down on the couch. He sits up, and he says, he's real. He's real. See, the Holy Spirit got a hold of him. We went through his house. He had a bunch of demonic stuff in it. We had him him throw it all out. His mother made a spaghetti dinner in honor of an Italian. She was so happy she got saved. I believe I heard the father got saved years later after we came back from, that was in Belgium. The kid now, that was about, that was 2013, so 10 years ago. He's no 16 anymore. He's 26 and has his own ministry that he travels from church to church to church. Isn't that beautiful when you see what God can do to people? He tried to commit suicide several times. His parents didn't know what to do with him, but the power of God fell on him. He's real. We've got to realize that the Holy Spirit, that Jesus Christ is real. That's what I've been praying lately. Lord, Bring the reality back to me as to who you really are. I know who you are, but how about that reality? When I'm studying, when I'm teaching, the reality of you. When I'm walking down the street, the reality of you're with me everywhere I go. This power not only reflects in the natural, but even in the supernatural. That's what happened to this young kid. His name is Arnold, by the way. You'll never see him. He's in Belgium. He's been here and ministered with me about two years after, after we led him to the Lord. When I was over at the other church, I was happy to be preaching that Wednesday night, and I, he was, came into town to see us, and uh, I brought him up, to say, to up, up and he gave his testimony to the church. I love to see that. Here's what Mark 16 14 through 18 says, and a lot of the church, even believers, say, ah, I don't believe that. Mark 16, verse 14 through 18. Afterwards, he appeared 
This is John Mark talking about what he heard from Peter or, or uh, Matthew. Afterward, he appeared unto the eleven as they ate at meat and upbraided them with their unbelief and their hardness of heart, because they believed not them which had seen him after he had risen. And he said to them, this is Easter Sunday, what you would call Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, I like to say. This is East Resurrection Sunday in the evening. Jesus appears in the room. And the eleven. And he said to them, Go ye into all the world and preach to every creature. And he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. These signs will follow those who believe in my name. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues, and they shall take up serpents. And you, lo- and I got to, I got to stop there because I looked up the Greek, and the Greek word used there is "areo," which means it can also mean to take away serpents. I believe it was translated a little wrong there, to take away serpents, or away with, or put away, or remove, or take away. That verb can also mean that. I believe the wrong verb is there. And it's all in the tense. It's all in the translator. Because how can you put down a serpent? I mean, how could you play with serpents? You're tempting the Lord your God. He already told you you can cast out devils. So now you're going to play with a viper? You heard about the guy. There's a big flood coming. He's he's going up the mountain because he's getting away from the flood or he'll drown, and he runs into this rattlesnake. This rattlesnake says, can you take me to the top? I, he says, I ain't taking you to the top. You're a rattlesnake. You'll bite me. I, I promise I won't bite you. So he decides he's going to take the rattlesnake up to the mountain, puts him in his satchel, goes up to the top of the mountain, the flood down below. He saved himself. He lets the rattlesnake out of the bag, and the bag, rattlesnake bites him. He said, you promised me you wouldn't bite me. He said, you knew I was a snake. <laughs> you know, you don't mess with the devil. You dance with the devil, you're going to get burned. That's all there is to it. Listen, they will put down serpents. If they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. And they shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. This is what Jesus is telling them. But did you notice in verse 16... After he appeared unto the eleven, at the, as they sat at meat, he upbraided them with their unbelief and hardness of heart. And even people today say that this don't happen. I've seen it happen. Don't take my word for it. God's word says so. It happens. You can lay hands on the sick and they can recover. Sick people can live longer. If you listen to certain preachers, they'll tell you, you, by his stripes, you are healed. By your stripes, you were healed. Old Testament, New Testament. We are healed. You know what? The problem could be, and don't come up to me after the service, it could be your faith. You know what else could be? Unforgiveness. It could be unconfessed sin. And it could be many other things. Your idea is to find out what it is and get rid of it by confessing it and repenting of it. He rebuked them for not believing this. 
In the church today, there's many even good-named preachers that I love to listen to. When they get to this point, I believe they're way off target. Some churches, if I preached what I just told you, I'd throw me out of the pulpit. I can tell you that right now. But listen, I want you to know the truth. These are the words of Jesus himself. And it is written in all, not all the manuscripts, but many of the manuscripts. If it wasn't written in any, manuscript, uh, any of the manuscripts, I would say, and that should be out of the Bible, but it's not. It's in the manuscripts. That means it's from the past. So you think hard if you struggle with these verses. Because he, that upbraided means scolded, rebuked, or shamed them for not believing and having a hard heart. And having a hard heart. So, you've got to think now, if you struggle with these verses, is the Lord saying to you or rebuking you or scolding you or shaming you and say, soften your heart. Soften your heart. Then there's love, power, and a sound mind. Love is given by the Holy Spirit. And it's obvious we should have a heart to love others in the same way Jesus had a heart to love others. And God the Father, for he so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son. He demonstrated his love while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. He, even while you were sinning, he, he, he saved you. That's how much he loves you. John tells us, love, let us love one another, for love is from God. And we know other passages where God is love. 1 John 4, 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. So if you're fearful today, look to the perfect lover. Look to our Lord Jesus, our God, who saved us. Perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. I think we all struggle with that. I don't believe any human being can have true agape love like God does. We can work at it all of our lives. I don't know that we'll ever achieve it. So, he, he makes us more like Christ, He gives us power to witness. And he guides us into all truth. The Holy Spirit guides us into all truth. That's one thing Jesus told us. In John 16, 13, we read the verse. He's called the Spirit of Truth. Here it is, John 16, verse 13. Howbeit, when He, the Spirit of Truth, is come, He will guide you into all truth, for He shall not speak of Himself, but whatsoever He shall hear, that shall He speak. He will show you things to come. He's going to show you things to come. The Lord Himself, the Holy Spirit. And there's a lot of people today that don't even believe in somebody prophesying over them. 
He's spoken about it in 1 Corinthians 12 and 13. No, and 14. But it's sandwiched in the love chapter 13. So you've got miracles and the gifts, and you've got it sandwiched in love, but the church stays away from that. They don't love their brother that believes these things. One of us is wrong. And you know what? It has absolutely nothing to do with your salvation. Your salvation is in Christ alone. You're just wrong. That's it. Don't try to condemn them to say they committed the mortal sin. No. You're just wrong. But you believe. What makes you a Christian is you believe that Christ came, He died, He was buried, and He is risen, according to the Scriptures. And that's 1 Corinthians 15, 3. And then follow it through. You'll see He appeared to the disciples, to the women, to 500, who most of all were, most were alive at that day when it was written. Call them into a courtroom and let them tell you Jesus is living. And you'd say, Jesus must be alive. He is alive. Jesus is telling us that when we have the Holy Spirit in our lives, He's going to guide us in the direction we need to go. I knew every one of you, if you're a believer, you, your direction should have changed. You should be running into the devil. If you're not, you're probably walking in the same direction he is. Because you are counter grain with the world at that point. You will run into the devil. Some run into him all the time, and God has equipped them with gifts of discernment and different things like that. And other people just run into him once in a while, and that's okay. You're running into him. He guides you and leads you in the direction you should go. The Holy Spirit also will not leave you in confusion. There's no confusion. He will reveal truth to us. He will illuminate the dark areas of our lives and convict us of sin. Notice I did not say condemnation. He can, you can't be condemned. It's the devil that brings condemnation. The God brings conviction so that you turn, so that your progressive sanctification will get stronger and you'll be on an upward path. And, and he will fulfill God's purpose for us. He's going to lead us. 1 Corinthians 14.33 says, For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Should be no confusion. The Holy Spirit is our leader as Christians in this world today. Jesus is up in heaven interceding for you. When you sin, He's there, Father, forgive them. He's my saying, you know, I, He believes in me. I took His punishment because He sinned for that. The Holy Spirit is who's down here. The Holy Spirit's our leader. And those who follow him are his sons and daughters, God's sons and daughters. Here's Romans 8, 14. I'm going to read that from, uh, from the 14 through 8, 14 through 17. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again, to fear, but you receive the spirit of adoption 
by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirits that we are children of God. And if children of God, then heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. You have been adopted into the kingdom of God. That's why I, I accepted that light rebuke from the guy last week. I am a sinner, I know that, but I'm saved by grace and I'm a saint. So which one should be, be prominent in me, saint or sinner? I say saint. The Holy Spirit, number four, not only does he, he make us more like Christ, and not only um, does he guide us in the truth, not only does he give us power to witness, he convicts us of sin. He convicts us of our sin so that we can turn away from it and progressively be sanctified. We are sanctified. We're going to heaven. God wants you to grow in grace and the knowledge of him. You don't want you sitting at home going like this. He wants you to grow in him. How do you grow in him? You read your Bible, you go to church, watch some good preachers on TV, listen to the radio station. Christian radio station is offering good worship, true worship. Romans 8 says, There is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. The Holy Spirit doesn't condemn. He convicts you so that you turn away and go the other direction. Paul tells Timothy this, Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. Paul is saying, look at our lives. They can tell. They're different. Paul's telling them that. They're different. And you should be recognized as different. I was at Publix the other day, and the cashier says to me, oh, Pastor Joe. I had a, a T-shirt from here. It says Pastor Joe on. She says, Pastor Joe, I could use some prayer right now. And I said, oh, okay. I says, um, I says, I gave her my number. I gave her a car. I says, call me. I'm walking out to the car, and the Holy Spirit says, go back there. I turn back, go back around her, and I said, you know, I want you to know, if you call me, we can talk. I'll help you whatever way I can. She never called me, but she knew I was different. I might be bothered to just the shirt I wear, wore that day. But, you people should recognize you're a Christian. Sin is something that will always offend God and hold you back and me back. So I want to grow. So I want to turn from it. Just because I'm a saint and not a sinner doesn't mean I have the right to sin. It says right here, it'll hold us back. Sin will hold you back from growth in the Lord. So conviction, then, is your best friend. 
When you stop feeling conviction, you got bigger problems. Now you better wonder, why isn't the Holy Spirit speaking to me? That's why David prayed, do not take your Holy Spirit from me. He knew he was a sinner, a bad sinner, obviously. Murder, adultery, lies that went along with it. He convicts the world, John 16, 8. The Holy Spirit convicts the world concerning sin, concerning righteousness, and concerning judgment. But conviction will always come before the sin. The Holy Spirit will just begin to tap on your heart once temptation comes. Temptation is not sin. Following it is sin. Put it out of your mind. Our, our responsibility, since conviction is our best friend, our, excuse me, our responsibility is to respond to that conviction from the Holy Spirit. Jesus was tempted, but he did not sin. Giving into temptation is what brings the sin. But the Holy Spirit will nudge our hearts and move to make you listen to him. Point number five, he reveals the word, of, word to us. He reveals the word to us. While Jesus was on the earth, he taught us. He taught everywhere he went. Jesus was a teacher. They called him teacher. They called him rabbi. And since he is not physically here, the Holy Spirit has now taken that role to reveal God's word to us. That's why Scripture says all Scripture is inspired by God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That's why it's that's why it says that, you know, that 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 he is it's it's God talking. No prophecy of scripture was ever written as an act of human will, but men led by the Holy Spirit wrote from God. The Holy Spirit teaches and reveals the meaning of Scripture to us as we read. Because he's our helper. He will teach us all things, John 16, and bring to our remembrance everything that Jesus said. That's the Holy Spirit's purpose, one of his purposes here. Point number six, last point, and we'll be ending. He brings us closer to other believers. You know, a lot of people don't like smaller churches. And a lot do. In the bigger churches, you don't have that close fellowship. I know everybody's name in here. And I'll bet most of you do know everybody's name in here. Probably all of you. That's what you get in a family-type church. Encouragement. A lot of the bigger churches. And I was a pastor, 20, one of 29 pastors in a major church. And they didn't have that closeness that have here. There's a little inner circle, yes, where you have closeness with certain people. And some of them are still here. And some have moved out of state. 
and still support us from out of state. So, you know, it brings believers, I'm closer to you. Like you all, when you saw my wife this morning, you all cried with her and loved on her. And that's important, very important. The Holy Spirit brings unity to the body of Christ. Acts 4.32, all believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt what they owned was not their own, so they shared everything they had. You know, that wouldn't work today. There's a lot of greedy people in the world. They'll take everything you have without even thought. Watch you. But in the church, you see some of this being done. People see you have a need. I know when I was a young believer and my business was struggling in Pennsylvania, you know, um, and it was a hard time. It was in the 80s. The real estate market crashed, everything crashed. And my business, I was just, I was not making it, the business. I'd go to church. Look in my box, Joe Trapani, open an envelope with a couple hundred dollars in it. I hear a knock on the door. I go out to the front door. By the time I got there, people were gone, but there was a couple bags of groceries outside. Those days still here. You take a pie to your neighbor when he moves in? Not like it used to be. I remember when I moved into my, my house that... Uh, we were building. The neighbors came over and with a pie. I know they used to do that when my mom and dad were alive. Before that, it's not today. A lot of people don't even know their neighbors. But we need to be united in heart, and that's what the chair, the Holy Spirit does by us gathering in church. We get united in heart and in mind. The old, the early church was receiving this, and they brought it, bought, bought into the unity, and they tried to get together and make all things work together, but obviously it didn't work for a while, maybe. If we draw near to the Holy Spirit, He will place love in our hearts for our brothers and sisters, and we will be compelled to help one another. The Holy Spirit knows there's power in numbers. And he's about that. He's a, he wants to give us that power in the church. We Christians need to dedicate more time to understanding the scriptures about unity and apply them to our life every day. So here's basically the application for this study. We need to seek to know the Holy Spirit more fully. Not complain that this guy has tongues and that guy has prophecy and that guy, you know, he has, you know, another gift. You know, just accept what God has given a person. You saw Matt and Max and Lewis up here playing the guitar. You know, um, they're, they're trying to develop their gifts given by the Holy Spirit. And they got an opportunity to do it here. 
The last song you read, you heard, was Max wrote. That's the third song that he played here that he wrote himself, huh? Oh, you didn't write that one? Okay, he wrote the first two. <laughs> Listen, but see, we're trying to develop his gift. A lot of churches will say, they're not gifted enough. And boy, does that hurt. I know people that are hurt to this day about that. No. The Holy Spirit gave you a gift. Maybe it isn't like Jeremy Camp, but it's a gift. Use it. I minister in a fervent prayer ministry, a deliverance ministry, and I'm going to tell you what. I have the gift of discernment of spirits, but I'm not like those women in that ministry. Man, they're, they're just grown. Their gift has developed more than mine. We're to seek to know him more fully, whether we're praying for somebody, whether we're in church, whether we're reading our Bible. We're, we're to know the Holy Spirit more fully. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ, and we know that God so loved the world that we need to develop love because that's what he's trying to teach us, love, to love one another. Don't cut your brother down because he believes different than you. One of you are wrong, but it doesn't have anything to do with your salvation. As I said last week, there's only one sin that sends you to hell, and that is the rejection of the work of Christ on this cross. You reject that holy blood, that's the sin that will send you to hell. Because you denied the Holy Spirit all the days of your life, not listening and not responding to his message to receive Christ as your Savior. And you said, no, I don't want to. Or you said, I'm too young. Or I, no, I'll have to change this. I'll have to all these excuses. Here's what I say to you. Pull up your bootstraps, grab your courage, and come forward. Or... On the internet, just pray. Ask God. Tell him you believe in his son Jesus. You want to receive him as your savior. Come into my life, your life. And and then, then you will receive the Holy Spirit. But don't do it with this. Intellect will still send you to hell. It's the heart that will send you to heaven. So let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. We can't begin to touch on the work of the Holy Spirit, even from what we see in the Bible. But we couldn't begin to touch on everything here today. But Lord, let whatever we did teach on here today hit the spot in our heart that needed to be hit to make us a better Christian, following after and being more like Jesus. And to you be the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, everybody. I love you all. Tune back in next week, 11 a.m.